Let's open up our Bibles together this morning, shall we? Let's look to the book of Hebrews once again as we're preaching through and teaching through this great compilation. The Lord has given us so many words so high, so wonderful, so deep, yet here for our our digestion, our learning, our acquisition. Follow along as I begin reading in chapter 5 of Hebrews, starting in verse 1. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also beset by weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he was called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray together, shall we, this morning? Lord, open our hearts for your word. Guide us to see Jesus as we ought, to know Jesus in the position he holds as high priest as we should, and may we honor him through all of that. May the knowledge of his function as our great high priest be a comfort to our hearts, an assurance to our minds, and a blessing to our walk in Christ. Lord, this day remove any obstacles to your word, any obstacles of the flesh here in the pulpit or there in the pew, any obstacles even in the mind of preoccupations things awaiting plans and future things. Remove them, Lord, we pray. Allow us, Lord, to be completely spiritually focused. And then, Lord, teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're in the process of being delivered from ignorance unto maturity. We're looking to understand what is the high priestly ministry of Jesus the Christ. We've seen his ministry as one of compassion. We've seen that his ministry is accomplished in weakness as a human. And today we look and his high priestly honor, to come to an understanding of his high priestly honor. 
duty, honor, country. Those in the military oftentimes say that. What is honor that we should pay attention to it? Four times honor is used of Jesus in the book of Hebrews. Just a page back in my Bible, chapter 2, verse 7. Speaking of Jesus, the writer of Hebrews says, You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with honor, with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands, and have put all things in subjection under his feet. In the first place, that refers to all mankind who have been honored with the dominion of the earth and that responsibility, and then sheds light upon Jesus in the later verses. So also then verse 9 of chapter 2, but we see Jesus made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor that he may by grace, the grace of God, might taste death for everyone, honor and duty. Chapter 3, verse 3, For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. And now here in chapter 5, verse 4, No man takes this honor to himself. If you've ever been to a court of law, before the judge walks in, there is a pronouncement made by the bailiff, and it is this. All rise. And when you rise, the judge walks in in his garb, in his robe, that distinguishes him from all the rest of you. He's the only robed guy in the room. He has an office. He has a position that grants him honor. Whether he be an honorable man or not, his position, his office, gives him honor. And when you address him, you must address him your honor. He represents the law of the land when he is employed in that office. So the office bestows the honor upon the office holder. In the United States of America, we have a president. And it is the office that gives to the man in that office honor. For he represents the people. A judge represents the law, and a president represents the people. In the book of Hebrews, we have something similar taking place. And I hope those illustrations help. 
here we are called upon to see that this office of high priest to which Jesus now holds office was prefigured by men before him who were born of man, who were human, who were subject to the weakness of humanity, and yet, though they were weak, and though they even had to minister to the sins of man, though they were sinners themselves, it is God that wants us to remember the past program for one taking a position of high priest. So if we want to understand high priestly honor, we have to understand it in its highest nature, and then we must know from whence does this honor come. We know how a man becomes president. He gets the most votes. Okay, ideally. We know how men become judges, sometimes appointed by presidents. And so the people have a hand. In chapter 5, verse 4, in regards to the high priests of Israel, God is making very specifically clear the manner in which the first high priests, starting with Aaron, were established. And then we'll make a direct parallel to the establishments of Jesus in his new high priestly role. Let's look at it. Understanding the high priestly honor, first let us notice that Aaron did not take this honor upon himself. Aaron did not take this honor upon himself. Verse 4, let's read it again. And no man, and no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God just as Aaron was. How did Aaron become the high priest of Israel? They did not have a vote. There was no congregational input. There was no representation of anyone beyond the one who called, i.e. God. This morning, I want us to go back in the Bible. I want us to go back in the, in the Old Testament. And you are going to find that as we study further and further along in Hebrews, it is going to demand of us a knowledge of our Old Testament Bibles. Wouldn't be a bad idea for you to take upon a task upon yourself to go back and read the Old Testament during the time in which we study Hebrews all the way through and get the flavor and the constancy and the observation of God and Israel under the law that we may understand Hebrews in its right context. We go back to Aaron who did not take this honor upon himself when we go back to the book of Leviticus. And in that book of the law, in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, we read, and by the way, we're going to be reading a lot of Scripture today, and I say we sort of loosely, me out loud and you following along. But let us go back to recount exactly what Hebrews 5.4 has just said in a very succinct and perhaps a very unmeaningful way to you. 
I pray that the Old Testament will imbue this verse with its meaning. Leviticus 8.1 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So the entirety of the people of Israel is to meet God before the tabernacle of meeting, which is why we call it the tabernacle of meeting, for there you meet with God, and bring these things, garments, bulls, rams, basket of unleavened bread, and listen. Verse 4. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was gathered at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, and this is key for us to understand, Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. He did not say this is what was the result of a popularity contest, and this is what we're going to do. He said, this is what the Lord himself commanded to be done, and we are obeying the Lord. Then Moses, in obedience, brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him, and he girded him with the intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod upon him. Then he put the breastplate on him, and he put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head, also the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord God had commanded Moses. If you want a side study, go and read what was on the golden plate on the turban. Verse 10, Leviticus 8, Also Moses took the anointing oil. Count how many times, kids, anointing is used. And Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and all its utensils, and the laver at its base to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So God said, do this. I want Aaron. Bring him. Now ceremonially prepare him. I am consecrating him, and you are going to do it in front of all the people of Israel. I'm setting him apart to this office, a functional office for the people of Israel to represent them to God because God wanted him. All the anointing, symbolic of the final anointed one who would come. Do you know what the anointed one translates to in title? In Hebrew, Mashiach, the Messiah, is the anointed one. The high priest we are studying, Jesus, 
is prefigured by an anointed one here unto an office by God. Secondly, I want to take you to the seriousness, to the serious, serious nature of God's calling and God's honoring of the Aaronic priesthood. That means of the line of Aaron, Aaronic priesthood. Here we look and we look back to the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers is amazing reading. It is better than any novel you will ever read. It has more intrigue, more trouble, more trial, more testing, more difficulties, more majesty of God than any novel any fiction writer could ever, ever make up. He was right who said, reality is more amazing than fiction. In this chapter 16 of Numbers, we have something happening. Something happening that directly affects the high priesthood in Israel. There is a man, Korah, and a couple of his friends. By the way, Korah is of the tribe of Levi. His father is of Levi. And with him and his two friends, they bring 250 leaders of the congregation of Israel. 250 leaders and congregational representatives. And they come to Moses and Aaron, and they ask this question in chapter 16, verse 3, and they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And by the way, that word against means they don't have good intentions. And they gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, quote, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the congregation of the Lord? We have just read that God commanded Moses to take Aaron and make him the high priest without a vote. Here comes the vote. This is how voting usually works when it's applied to where God gave no vote. Notice Moses' humble reaction, verse 4. Then Moses, when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. He didn't rise up and posture and bump chests with them. He fell on his face. And then he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will cause him to come near. Come near to him so that the one whom he chooses he will cause to come near him. So do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. So they were to take these censers, they were to fill them with incense, and they were to come back, all of them, 
before the tent of meeting. And God chose Aaron. This is a battle. This is a spiritual battle for the spiritual leadership of Israel at its very outset. Who has the right to lead Israel to God? And who has the right to minister before God? Let me say it this way. Who has the honor of standing before God, holy God, for Israel? That right is being challenged. Many of you are familiar with this story. You're familiar that all of these 250 leaders brought their, their incense and their censers, and they came up. And you're also familiar that the Lord accepted Aaron's and no one else's. You are further familiar that God then told the entire congregation of Israel to separate themselves from Korah and his entire family, wife, children, children's children, etc., the entire family, and his two compatriots, and the 250 men who had come up against him, and God opened up the earth, and the earth swallowed Korah and all those who were rebels with him, and then the earth closed over the top of them. I dare you write a novel like that that someone would believe. But this is God's word. This is how God solved that problem. In Numbers 16, verse 36, if you'd like to read along with me, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy, and scatter the fire some distance away. See, anything that approached God is now holy. But notice how God is going to use them in a memorial fashion, in a lesson-giving fashion for Israel for all time. Verse 38. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore they are holy, and they shall be a sign to the children of Israel. So Eliezer the priest took the bronze censers, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no, listen, that no outsider who is not a descendant of Aaron shall come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he not, might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses." You can't imagine the most frightening thing you've ever seen in your life when all of these people who had stood against Moses and Aaron were swallowed up and then now for a memorial, every one of these censers is hammered flat and nailed for all to see for all time of this rebellion and its consequences. Note the next day, number 1641. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained 
believe it. This can't be real. They just watched the entire families of all these people be swallowed up and, and put in there. And what are they? They're mad. By the way, somebody's friend went down into the earth. Someone they knew went down into the earth. Perhaps your son's best friend who he plays with around the camp of Israel went down into the earth. Perhaps you don't think it's fair that God judged them so severely who went down into the earth. Before we're too surprised, let's realize that actually seeing the judgment of God reacts upon men, even redeemed men, sometimes in a negative way. To see God act particularly righteously and justly in a moment is a frightening thing. And we forget it too soon. The very next day, the congregation of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, Listen, you have killed the people of the Lord. Now, did you see Aaron and Moses out there digging a pit and throw them in there? No, we saw them coming before the tent of meeting. They met with God. God took Aaron and accepted him, and God killed all the rest. God dug the hole. They all fell in. God covered it up, and the people say, You did this. Now it happened when the congregation had gathered against Moses and Aaron that they turned toward the tabernacle of meeting and suddenly the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared when Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of meeting and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Get away from this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. This is God. For any who think to trifle with God, to trifle with God's plans, to dishonor what God has honored, let them take note. But truly let them take note of the heart of those who stand between the people and God in his wrath. For they are illustrated here in a most beautiful and sacrificial fashion. And they, Moses and Aaron, fell on their faces. And so Moses said to Aaron, Take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. Did you hear that? Don't rise up against them. Shake your finger at them. Say, get right with the Lord. Go to work on their behalf. What do these people deserve? They just saw all the rebels die falling into the chasm in the dirt and being closed up. What do they deserve? I've never seen such ignorance in my life. Let's take on Moses and Aaron again. This ought to go well. The foolishness of sin is on display, and yet the response of a high priest and Moses, a representative of God on earth, they go to work to make atonement, to cover them, to protect them from the wrath of God. And make atonement for them, for the wrath of God has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. A plague began. 
And then Aaron took it as Moses command, commanded, and notice, and he ran into the midst of the assembly, and already the plague had begun among the people, and he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. His day on the job is to stand between the wrath of God and the people of God and their sin. So the plague was stopped. Now who those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for the plague had stopped. What is it that a high priest does? Can anybody else do this? But he who is called of God and has the heart of God to do this the right way. Therefore Hebrews chapter 2 now makes more sense. When we read of Jesus in chapter 3, verse 17, Therefore in all things he, Jesus, had to be make, made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. And what are the things that pertain to God? This, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To make propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. That's what Aaron did with his censor, and it prefigured what Christ would do permanently before God. It's in the Old Testament. It's realized in the New. The intervention of a mediator as a great high priest is prefigured in Aaron and realized in Christ. The people need a mediator between themselves and the holy God whose wrath burns hot against their sin and rebellion. Let's take ourselves into another chapter of Numbers 17.1. I, the Lord, spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and get them a rod from each father's house. All their leaders, according to their father's houses, twelve rods. Write each man's name on his rod. So everyone had to get a rod. Had to get their walking stick. And on that stick, every single head of every single of the twelve tribes of Israel had to engrave their name on that rod. They were representing their tribal families in toto by doing so. And you shall write Aaron's name on the rod of Levi, and there shall be one rod for the head of each father's house. Then you shall place them, listen, in the tabernacle of meeting before the testimony, before the law of God, where I meet with you before the presence of God. And it shall be that the rod of the man whom I choose will blossom. Thus I will rid myself of the complaints of the children of Israel, which they make against you. So Moses spoke to the children of Israel, and each of their leaders gave him a rod apiece. For each leader, according to their father's houses, twelve rods. And the rod of Aaron was among the rods. And Moses placed the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of meeting, or tabernacle of witness, excuse me. And it came to pass on the next day that Moses went into the tabernacle of witness and behold the rod of Aaron. Whenever it says behold, you got to behold. You got to look. 
Behold, the rod of Aaron of the house of Levi, listen, had sprouted and put forth bud. So it did what he said it would do, what God said it would do in God choosing the one he wanted. But God didn't stop there, listen, to confirm it. And had produced blossoms and yielded ripe almonds. So overnight, this dead stick gets buds, it blossoms, it somehow is germinated, and it comes out with almonds, and it has the name Levi on it that they carry out to the people. No mistakes. A miracle. Then Moses brought out all of the rods from before the Lord to all the children of Israel, and they looked, and each man took his rod. And the Lord said to Moses, Bring Aaron's rod back. Listen, this is important. Bring Aaron's rod back before the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. Two signs are given here. The censers are beaten flat and put against the testimony. And then this rod is placed in there. What is this testimony? Where is the testimony kept? Do you know? It's in the Old Testament. Of course you know. The Testament is God's written word that he gave to Moses that was to be kept right beside the ark. I saw some moms moving out there. They knew the ark of the covenant had the testimony of God beside it. And you will read from here on out in the Old Testament, whenever the ark of the covenant is referred, it will be the ark of the testimony where that is kept. And inside it, they will tell you there is the manna that God fed the people with as a testimony of his provisions inside that ark. And inside that ark, there is Aaron's rod that budded. Signs of the holy position of high priest that is not taken by a man himself, but given to God and is irrevocable. It is undefiable by man. It is from God. The purpose is that you may put your complaints away from me lest they die. That is God's protection. Those hammered out censers and the rod that budded isn't supposed to make us feel warm and fuzzy. It is make us to tremble in fear. At disobeying God's methodology of making high priests. And it is now being applied to Jesus Christ himself. If you think that the Aaronic priesthood is holy and untouchable, don't mess with it. Guess what's coming? Not a high priest. A mega high priest. The last of all high priests that does away with all high priests. You have to realize Israel has been living under this for hundreds of years and God is going to change it in Jesus. He's going to switch tribes from Levi to Judah. And Israel might just want to take a vote. 
and to see if they really are going to accept this new high priest who comes from the tribe of Judah. They did actually vote, by the way, just like they did with Aaron and Moses. Verse 5, Hebrews 5. Christ also did not take this honor to himself. Chapter 5, verse 5. So also, in the same manner as Aaron, Jesus Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This must be made as graphic as I did, and I probably didn't make it graphic enough. For the weight of honor to be rightly placed on the position of Christ as high priest must be established for us to confess it rightly in our hearts and minds. For it was Israel when they were confronted with this deliverer, with this Mashiach, this Jesus, this Christ, this son of a carpenter from Galilee. In John chapter 7, Jesus taught in the temple. Jesus taught in the temple. The temple of meeting. Jesus taught the scriptures in the temple of meeting before God and those around him said in chapter 7, how does this man know letters having never studied? Jesus answered them and said in verse 16, my doctrine, i.e. my teaching, is not mine, but his who sent me. Listen to this. Jesus says, if anyone who wills to do his will, that means if anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, know concerning the teachings, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Did you see what Jesus just did? It's the classic parent answer. It's the classic teacher's answer. Somebody says, well, how do you know that's true? And they say, have you looked it up in the dictionary? Have you been to the library? Have you studied? And that's where you're caught out, right? You start questioning something. And then they say to you something that humiliates you because of your ignorance. Remember I told you Hebrews chapter 5 is about curing ignorance. I hate to have to do it in church, but I can't help it. It's here. And so the ignorance of the people who are surrounding Jesus in the temple are betraying that they know almost nothing of God's word. They've heard it since their youth, but they don't know it. So when the actual Messiah that they supposedly have all been waiting for, the great high priest that they're supposed to want, actually shows up, they say, well, he hasn't been to the right schools. I don't think he's been to Oxford or Cambridge. 
Do any of you know him? Did he come with, with you, James, and Eaton? Oh, I didn't see him there. Can't be ours. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak of my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, Jesus said. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? He says, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? He goes straight to the heart. You want to kill me like you wanted to kill Moses? Like you wanted to kill Aaron? And I'm just doing what God sent me to do. In John chapter 8, again, a contest of popularity between those who want the power and the people behind them and Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who has come. They look at Jesus and they ask him this question in John chapter 8. They say, whom do you make yourself out to be? In other words, they're saying in our common vernacular, just who do you think you are? You can't talk to us like this. You can't say things like that to us. Don't you know who we are? And Jesus says, and Jesus answered them, verse 54 of John 8. Jesus says, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. Boy, couldn't we learn something, all of us, if we learned that? If you honor yourself, you've got no honor. But that's another sermon. Let me move on. If, you, if I honor myself, Jesus says, my honor is nothing. Now pay attention to this. It is my Father, hear this, who honors me. How did he get the honor? He didn't take it. Aaron didn't take it. Jesus didn't take it. God honored Aaron, and now God honors Jesus Christ. John honor, God honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. So Jesus said, if you say he's your God, God's honoring me, how come you're missing this? Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Uh-oh. He just invoked Abraham, their favorite. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. And have you seen Abraham? Ha <laughs> ha. That's kind of how you have to do that. So you've seen Abraham. Have you? And Jesus said to them, With power and authority, Most assuredly I say to you, Before Abraham was, What? I am. I am the pre-existent Son of God, sent of the Father, honored by Him. And what did they do? They took up stones to throw at Him. And Jesus hid Himself and went by way of the temple. And then they hung Him on a cross by the end of the book of John. And the popularity vote was in. The word of God was denied. The power of God was complained against. This book, Hebrews, is to the Hebrews, whom God called stiff-necked 
It's another way of saying willfully ignorant. But it is a protection for us that we not be the same. Jesus did not take this glory to himself, but God declared Jesus the Davidic heir and conqueror in verse 5 of Hebrews 5. Listen. But it is he, God, who said to him, Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. It is in this that we see that God is identifying Jesus not just in the sense simply of being a human but also of being divine and even more than that or I should say added to that would be the better theological phraseology. He is quoting a psalm that all Israel knows as a messianic psalm, a psalm that tells about the Messiah's coming. It is Psalm 2. He quotes from verse 7. Verse 7 of Psalm 2 reads, I will declare and decree, the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. It is assumed that we know what comes next. It is assumed that the Hebrews, who are students of their Bibles, know what comes next. And here's what comes next in Psalm 2. Verse 8. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. What? We went straight from son to ruler of the world. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Who is this? And you shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore be wise. Listen, this is God's message to the nations, to the kings of the world. Now therefore be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. How do you do that? Well, obviously a lot better than we do, because we've lost a lot of that. But reading about Korah, I've got a little bit of the shakes. And I mean that seriously. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry. Your options for this one whom God has begotten, whom God has made his son, who is before you as king. He is presented as the king of the earth and you have an option. You can kiss him by way of subservience, by way of acceptance, by way of asking to be accepted by him or you can have the rod of iron and the judgment that Korah knows. Behold your God. He speaks. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry with you, and you perish in the way when His wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. If you're sitting here today and you have not yet capitulated to Jesus Christ the King, I beg you today 
today. If you're a child here, if you're pretending to take notes, if you're taking notes, if you're doing whatever it is you're doing, you need to listen right now. You've got to do business with Jesus Christ. You either accept him as your king and Lord, or you will get the judgment of his wrath upon you. You must believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And if you're an adult and you've sat in church and you've heard this before and you've become inert and immune, you're in danger. God does not play games with his anointed. Kiss the Son. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved from the wrath of God. God pronounced him a son, but now God will pronounce him and God will honor him with a new office, a new order of priest, number two in your notes. The first quotation that is here in Hebrews is, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And then verse six, as he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In doing this, God is now tearing down the architecture of the legal system of the law of Moses, and he is replacing the high priest of Aaron and his line through Levi with Jesus Christ and a new order of priest. It is hard to swallow for the Hebrew. It should be easier for us Gentiles, but it seems to be that we've lost the need for priests particularly the evangelical movement who has overreacted to the Catholic, the Roman Catholic priests, which we abhor and rightly so, yet we still need a priest. And one is being established and being honored by God by his very word with the same indelibility as Aaron was. You are a priest for how long? Forever. Aaron, you're priest. But it's not forever. To Jesus you are priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. And here's where again, if you don't know and you don't have anything in your mind about Melchizedek, this means nothing. But praise the Lord, you came to church today. I am going to help. And by the way, that is my purpose. It is my purpose to lead you to God through the word of God so that you can see God in the word. And by that we become mature and our ignorance goes away and we become mature in our thinking about Jesus. We have seen Jesus now as son in his kingship. And now something startling, something unprecedented, something different and all the face of Hebrew history is about to happen. That that high priest... And that king and those two offices who were kept so separate through all of the legal history of Israel, God is now fulfilling what the prophets had said. These two offices shall be combined in one. In one man. And there shall be a priest king. Under the Mosaic law, the king could not do the priest's job, but the priest could not do the king's job. They were to be kept separate. And one king who tried to do the priest's job, God judged. But this king is also high priest. It is a quotation of fulfillment of Psalm 110. 
a quotation of fulfillment from Psalm 110, verse 4, where the psalmist writes, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. The Lord has sworn it. He will not turn back from it. When he says, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The quotation goes on, The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations, and he shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. Because he has been honored, because he has been lifted up, he will lift up those who are downtrodden. That's what it means to lift up the head. In the most serious and most profound way, Jesus Christ is being presented to Israel not to be missed a second time in the book of Hebrews. The prophet Zechariah had used a high priest Joshua and the crowning of him with a crown to symbolize the combination of these two in Jesus Christ who was to come. God had even told Zechariah to convey to Joshua that he would represent, that he would typify the branch who was to rebuild the millennial temple. That's the temple that will be in the thousand-year kingdom. The crowning of Joshua in the book of Zechariah had typical significance pointing to the Messiah, the king-priest or the priest-king like Melchizedek, who was both of these things in history past. I'm going to give you your first introduction to the high priest of God Most High, Melchizedek. And it is brief, and it comes in the life of Abraham. If you would allow me just a couple minutes of your attention. Abraham has been delivered terrible news. A number of kings have joined together in battle and they have fought in the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in that city of Sodom, his nephew Lot has been living. And as a result of this outpouring of wrath of these kings fighting with one another, Lot has been captured and taken prisoner with all of his family by the winning kings and they're running away with Abraham's nephew. Abraham assembles his men and those who carry swords and those who come with him and they go and to fight kings. And they fight these kings, an impossible task, and they defeat them fully and release Lot and they take a great plunder for those guys were running away with all the stuff they took from the kings they defeated and all the stuff they took away from Lot and his family. And then he comes back from this great victory. And the other kings come to him and he gives away the plunder that he's taken and takes nothing for himself except the return of those things and some provisions for his men. And then, and then, and this is history, this is true. And then, Melchizedek comes out. 
Never before mentioned in history. Never before mentioned in the rest of the Old Testament. Hardly at all. Till you get to the New Testament. Till you get here. The book of Hebrews written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. What happened on those plains? This is what happened. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, he's a king. King of Salem could also be translated peace. King of peace. Brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, King of Salem, priest of God Most High. By the way, the law had not been written yet. Abraham is not, I, I mean, Aaron is not yet a high priest. There is no Mosaic law yet. There is no Moses. There's Abraham. He's not even called Abraham yet. Notice. And he blessed him and said, he blessed Abram and said, blessed be Abram of God most high. The greater blesses the lesser. He said, blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, in case you wonder who we mean. And blessed be God Most High, listen, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And what did Abram do? And Abram, it says, and he gave him a tithe of all the plunder. He gave him a 10% cut. Here you go. Hold on to that. We're going to talk about that later in Hebrews. But this is a king priest appearing out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, Abram, the father of Israel, pays him honor. Respect. How do you show honor and respect? You bow before. You present your gifts. Like the wise men before Jesus understood honor. And they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It is only unbelievers that honor him not. Jesus is the priest king. It says so right here in Hebrews. But not so clearly without the Old Testament. I need to close. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to reverence and honor him as God is desirous of us doing. And I want this myself. Duty. Honor. God. Revelation 19 says this. Of this same Jesus. And I saw heaven opened. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the wine presses of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's honor. Honor him. Honor Christ our Lord as God the Father honored him, giving him the position of the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek and the kingship of the Son of God whom he has begotten. And you do that by believing that that is who he is and that is what he is. So when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you believe he is high priest and king and savior of the world. Do it today. Let's pray. Lord, I pray now against the forces of the flesh and even of the evil one who would destroy this message from going home to the hearts of someone who is not saved today, who is sitting here or hearing this. By the power of your Holy Spirit, break through. Dash aside the false views of Jesus that they might hold and cause them to believe on your Son, your only begotten Son, Jesus, whom you have honored with the position of high priest in the order of Melchizedek, he who can do a mediatorial work between you and them and bring them to yourself, O Lord God, and atone for their sin, to cover them with protection from the wrath of God. Lord, please allow them to believe today and bring them into your family where you give grace and mercy and an inheritance in heaven that does not fade away. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.